Welcome into the House of L podcast. I am Lawrence Holmes. I'm glad that you stuck around for another episode. I promise that you are going to enjoy this one. My guest is a good friend and a really interesting person. We'll get to that momentarily. It's weird to be doing a podcast that isn't sports related. Because the last two podcasts that have dropped since last week have been the Michael Kopech thing and then the Bears stuff. So we've done three sports podcasts and the support forum has been really great. And we want to thank you for your support of the podcast. It means the world to me. We made it to iTunes top 100 chart. Yay! So thanks to everyone who's listening via iTunes. We really appreciate that. Folks that are subscribing, your support has been outstanding. We had made the top 200. I was trying to get past Tony Robbins. But I'm happy that we we were able to get to the, the top 100. It's cool. It's cool. And I don't know if it'll, if it'll turn in anything, but it's just nice to know that enough people were tuning in to hear the work that it could get recognized nationally which is not something that I really thought would happen with <laughs> the podcast, but it's nice. And I'm good. Like I'm actually kind of satisfied that we made it to the top 100. If we can make it to the top, like a Bill Burr podcast or Mark Marin or whomever else, that would be cool too. By the way, this episode is being brought to you by our fine friends over at Melly Cafe. They have signed back on to be a part of the podcast, which is great. They have three locations, Halston and Jackson in Greektown, Grand and Wells, and Congress in Dearborn. It is a fantastic place for breakfast. I uh, met a, a colleague of mine at DePaul for lunch over there a couple of weeks ago at the Congress in Dearborn because it's not too far from DePaul's downtown campus, and we had a delicious meal Trust me, you will have one too. And uh, luckily, we had a listener last week that was paying close attention to the Shannon Ryan pod, and they won themselves a $25 gift card from Melly. So I might be able to twist their arm and get some more. We'll see if Angelo hooks me up. But all of our guests on the show will get a $50 gift card to go to Melly Cafe, and I'm so happy that they're continuing to be a sponsor of the podcast because it's a place that I actually go, which is the goal. I can tell you this. I'm trying really hard to not clutter the podcast with advertisers. That's not to say that I don't want them. And trust me, if you want to advertise on the podcast, I would love to have you. We have a lot of listeners and it's appreciated, but I, I turned down a sum of money because of clutter on the show. Like I don't want the shows to be just ad after ad. Unless you're Bill Burr and can make all of them funny as hell, like it's it's not worth it to me to do it that way. And I want to have sponsors that I use, like that I have used or will use and can honestly say you should try such and such because they're great. So like Melly Cafe, you should go eat brunch at Melly Cafe because it's delicious. And if you like chicken and waffles, their spin on it is unbelievable. And the fresh juices that they have, like the ginger, orange, pineapple thing, like it's amazing. But that my point is, is that I want to make sure that 
I have advertisers that mean something to me. Making money off this is kind of the last part of it. I just always wanted to make sure that I had a space to create no matter what. And I wanted to do something a little bit different than what I do on the radio. So that's why I even came up with the concept of doing the podcast. All right. That's neither here nor there. You don't want to hear any of that stuff. Or maybe you do. Maybe we'll talk about it at some point. My guest this week is Michael Kim. Michael Kim spent a lot of time at ESPN and was tapped to be the first person to work at 120 Sports. 120 Sports has morphed into stadium sports. Michael and I worked together on a national show for about a year. We did the morning show over there. It was called The Morning Run, and it was great. It was great really working with him and learning from him. And then the powers that be decided that the show and the network didn't need to exist in the form that it was and the format that it was, so they changed things. And Michael was on the bench for a little while, and he handled it with incredible grace. And he used his time wisely. And he's one of those dudes, man, you never see him sweat. Just a, a consummate professional and one of the really good guys in our business. And I am I'm honored to call him friend. And we, you know, we stayed in contact while he was waiting to figure out what he was gonna do. And we talk about that in, in our conversation that you'll hear in just a minute. He also had some great stories about Dan Patrick and Keith Oberman and what it's like to work at ESPN. But I think that some of the coolest stuff in this one is him talking about the year off of work that he took and he spent with his son, who's just entering high school. Along with us talking about crazy rich Asians, which I was trying, I was like, man, I can't bring that up. Like, I can't bring Michael in here and then start talking with him about crazy rich Asians. That'd be like me doing a podcast. So I'm like, man, have you seen Black Panther? But he brought it up, so we talked about it in the context of representation, and I think you'll find it. I think you'll find it interesting. Um, a lot of times, and Michael's one of the people that opened my eyes to this. A lot of time, Asian and Indian sportscasters don't feel recognized, and I'm glad that we're starting to see more. You know, Asian, Indian, Pakistani sportscasters across the landscape because they. A lot of, when we talk about race, we tend to in culture and ethnicity, we tend to make it literally and figuratively black and white. So it's great to get Michael's perspective on some of this stuff and hear what it was like for him to be an outsider, a big portion of his career. So here's my man, Michael Kim. Welcome back, man. Hey, man. Thank you. It's good to be back. Great to be back. I I miss this city. I always tell everybody, this is the most beautiful city in America in the summer. Yeah, spring, summer, you're good. I think overall San Diego would get that honor, but in the summer, I will put Chicago up against any city, really in North America. Maybe Toronto has has a shot, but certainly in the United States, I'll go with Chicago. And so I'm so... I'm so thankful I came back here in August as opposed to, do you realize that when I first came to 120 Sports, January 7th of 
2014. I think it was January uh, 5th, 6th, and 7th was that weekend. It was the Polar Vortex weekend. I remember. I still have on my phone the screenshot of the weather saying minus 20 as the temperature, not the wind chill, the temperature. I remember that weekend because it was before I bought my house. So I was still living in my condo. And I remember I had a doctor's appointment that day. And they were like, yeah, don't. Like, don't. I, li- I live like four blocks from the hospital. And they were like, don't. <laughs> like, there's not going to be anybody here. They told everyone not to go outside. And, and like, that's your, your welcome to Chicago. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you remember a couple weeks later, it stayed right around zero and didn't get above 10, I think, for almost 10 days, yep. if I remember correctly. And when it went to, like, 12, it felt like it was 70. It felt People like summertime. People walking around without coats on because it was so warm. It's the best thing about Chicago. It always makes me laugh. Like, that that first thaw where, like, oh, it's oh, it's 40 degrees? That's shorts <laughs> yeah, weather exactly. around here. And, and how much fun people have once the weather turns, man. But I'm so happy that you're back because I – I was like, man, my friend is just gonna move back east, and I'm never gonna see him again. <laughs> I'm so I'm glad that you're back. How did how did all of this happen? Where you were with 120 Sports, you left, and then 120 turns in a stadium, and they bring you back. Yeah, I am just just very fortunate, extremely grateful to Jason Coyle, the CEO of Stadium. He was the CEO of 120 Sports, and then when they merged with several different entities and became stadium. Um, it started happening where we moved out to 120, the move, the morning run of 120 sports out to New York over to the MLB.com studios in Chelsea market in Manhattan. It seemed like a great idea for a number of reasons, personally and professionally. But I think what happened there, just from my personal standpoint, when you move away from, and I should, I probably should have realized this, from my time at ESPN, and I hear this all the time from the bureau reporters, when you're not in Bristol, you can sometimes get lost, lost in the shuffle, because you're not there every day. You're not seeing the bosses or the managers every day, and sometimes you just kind of get lost. I'm not going to say we got lost out there in New York. It's hard to get lost in that situation where we're the one morning show for the network, but at the same time, uh, things were happening, and it was an easy thing when they decided to reconfigure uh, the company as well as um, make, let's be honest, some some changes as far as the budget is concerned. Sure. It was the easy thing to do. So I understand it, being in the business that long, to know that you're in that situation where, uh-oh, when you're away from the nucleus, then, then things can happen. And, and uh, I got caught up into something that I just uh, couldn't control and... Fortunately for me, I was already home, so I didn't have to move back home. They moved me back home to move for the show, and uh, I, I still stay in Connecticut. I, as you know, when we were working together at 120 Sports, I was going back and forth on the weekends. So I stayed here five days a week, and then uh, as soon as the show ended you on Friday, jets. I was uh, yeah, I was headed to O'Hare or Midway to get on a plane to get back to Connecticut eventually. And so that's what we're doing again. What did you do with that time? Because <laughs> here's what I, I, I find fascinating about you, Michael, is you weren't in a panic nor a rush to go to go back to work. And I, I thought it was cool where you were like, you know what? You, you did the work-life balance where you said, I can maximize this time with my family, and, and particularly your son. Yeah. Well, uh, to quote Billy Ray Valentine, I bruises on the inside. <laughs> you know, I was bruised on the inside, <laughs> but I didn't show it maybe on the outside, but... 
Uh, well, thank you for saying that. I'm glad it came off that I was cool, calm, and collected. And, and for the most part, I was just like, you know, whatever is supposed to happen will happen. But I also knew this is a time where I could make up for the lost time going back and forth between Chicago to spend with my son. Uh, my wife Marlene and I have one child, Matthew, who's now 14 years old. And it's, you know, I missed out on some years there, missed out on some games, missed out on practices. And it's like my father was always there, went to every game, was the one warming me up before Little League games and things like that. And I wasn't there for my son in that regard. And I always felt guilty about that. So it was nice to be there, spend that year with him. One of the things that he said, and this is right after I was, uh, you know, laid off, they they, uh, told us, in about June, end of June, that we were going to be uh, uh, shutting down the operation in July. And so from July 7th until today, today being September 4th, I really didn't have a show. So uh, you, you're catching me on the return, on the rebound here. Which is good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But in that time, one of the things, and I'm sure uh, if anybody out there f- happens to follow me on social media... I said, all right, well, then we've got time now. Let's do the things that we've always wanted to do and, and see if we can't knock off a lot of things off the list. So within weeks, we arranged a road trip. And, and I just posted because it was the one-year anniversary of this road trip that I always wanted to do. My son said he wants to go to every ballpark, every major league ballpark in the country. So I said, well, let's start checking them off. And so we went from... Connecticut, drove out to Pittsburgh, went to see PNC Park. Beautiful ballpark. If you haven't been, go to Pittsburgh just for that. It's my favorite. Oh, it's it's number one on my list. Uh, I thought AT&T Park in San Francisco, no offense to that beautiful ballpark. It was a gorgeous day when we went out there for that uh, that uh, stadium appearance, and, and uh, I think PNC beats it by hair. So we went to Pittsburgh, went to Canton, Ohio for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Went up to Cleveland, went to Progressive Field. That ballpark was fantastic. Saw a walk-off win by the Indians against the Rockies that night. It was just a, an electric scene, and I thought, I, I had no idea how cool it was right in that area near the queue and, and the ballpark, and I had never been there. And so it, that was a great experience. We went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame the next day, drove to Niagara Falls. My wife wanted to see that. She said, just do me that one thing. You can do all the sports things you want, but... Let me go to Niagara Falls. I said, all right, let's go. And we had a great time. And then drove up to Toronto, went to a Blue Jays-Yankees game, went to the Hockey Hall of Fame, which is a really cool place, especially the Great Hall where the Stanley Cup and all the awards are and where the players uh, have their names etched in these glass. um, They're almost like little windows, little plaques, glass plaques. Then we went to Cooperstown. And then we went to Springfield, Mass., and then came home. This was about a 10-day trip. We hit five Halls of Fame, and we went to, what, three ballparks, and then on some side trips, went to Fenway, went to Yankee Stadium, City Field, uh, Philly, and then uh, just recently we knocked off uh, D.C. and Baltimore. So we hit all these ballparks, and, and it's – I'm so glad and, and grateful that I had the time to do that. And then, then we did three Asia trips, and we can talk about that later. Yeah, I mean, I mean you were all over the place. Like, every time I look up on your Instagram, I was like, oh – Michael's in Korea right <laughs> exactly. now. Oh, he's at this ballpark. Or the, the you going to the Halls of Fame? How many had you already been to? I had been to the Baseball Hall of Fame 
back in the mid-90s. I went there, and I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I went there when I first arrived at ESPN, and I had a day off, and I thought, oh, let's drive up to, let me drive up to Cooperstown. It was, I think, a couple hours away. And I go up there. In the middle of this trip, like a snowstorm hits. It was kind of like a surprise snowstorm. But I'm like, I'm determined. I'm going to Cooperstown. I get there a half hour before it closes. There is uh, another couple and me in the entire museum. So I'm racing through the museum to get there, get get through there before the the place closes. And then, for those who don't know, the Hall of Fame is actually like a hall, and then they have all the plaques around. Well, as a Cardinals fan growing up in Central Missouri, uh, one of the players that I really loved was Lou Brock. I get there, I finally get to his plaque. We apologize that this plaque has been removed for cleaning. No! Sorry for the inconvenience. You fought through the snowstorm. <laughs> exactly. You're running up against the clock, and all of a, you can't even see your guy. Right, right. They had a picture, like a postcard, a picture of the plaque. I'm like, you couldn't clean Cool Papa Bell's uh, <laughs> plaque that day, or Jock O'Connellan, or, you know, whoever. Babe Ruth's plaque could have been cleaned that day. I didn't care. But I want to see Lou Brock. And they had like a photo of his, like a black and white photo of his plaque right there. And I'm thinking, you Did you just hear me. like, womp, womp yeah, exactly, in your head? Exactly. Like, I came all this way it, in a snowstorm. Yeah, it was a long, slow drive home. Oh, man, <laughs> that is terrible. Oh, uh, but see, now you have rectified that. I did. I uh, did. So of the five, which one was your favorite? Baseball. Yeah, baseball by far. Uh, and you have a long history of, of loving baseball, right. playing baseball. But I don't say that just because of that, because it really is the nicest museum, the way, and, and you realize just how tied, uh, how, how connected baseball is to American history. So you're talking about various scandals. You're talking about Jackie Robinson and, and the Negro Leagues and the uh, segregation of the sport. And, and it's just fascinating. And the way they do it there and, and really take you through the years, I was really impressed. I mean, to this day, right? Babe Ruth, even, even if you're not a baseball fan, you know who Babe Ruth is and, and what he means. And, and when you say somebody is the Babe Ruth of this or that, obviously now Michael Jordan more so. But you're talking about really two athletes over the past 150 years, right? 100, 100 150 years that uh, are, are, are like synonymous with greatness. I talked with one of your Missouri Mafia members, <laughs> Mike Hall, who you were at ESPN when he right. was at ESPN, about the business. And he, he said something that was really interesting to me about how when he was a kid, there was no dream job. When he, he, was, when he wins dream job, there was really no ESPNU. Then ESPNU is created. He's like, when I was at ESPNU, there was no Big Ten Network. Right. And he's made it all the way back home now doing what he loved, not trying to project too far into the future on what the business is. You've seen this from a lot of different angles. And now you work on a platform that people are still trying to get used to, like uh, over-the-top network and mm -hmm. a la carte sports network. How do you tell people what it is you do now, and could you have imagined <laughs> something like this when you were working in Bristol? Uh, no, certainly not initially. In fact, going back in my experience, you know, I didn't grow up with ESPN. I saw ESPN for the first time in the very early stages of that network when I was a freshman in high school, 
And I still remember the first time I saw it, I was at the home of my uh, high school baseball coach. And and he had some people over. He had just gotten ESPN, and he had some of his players come over and to see it. And I wanted to see it. And I think it was the Pac-8 Women's wow. Gymnastics Tournament wow. or whatever uh, competition, meet. That's what was on. That along with some monster truck competition, sure. right? So I, I, I'll never forget. I saw that, and it was like grainy video, right? And, and, and yet I thought, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I didn't think at that time, and I had no dreams of being a sportscaster or working at ESPN, anything like that. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, in, and I remember I was actually in law school. I went two years of law school at the University of Missouri when I was like, I can't do this anymore. I cannot do this anymore. And I'll never forget that I was clerking for a law firm in Jefferson City, Missouri, the capital. And I went around to these attorneys, almost scared because I was like telling them that I was going to quit. And to a person, they shared their stories with me about how, oh, I wish I would have done this. I wanted to be a DJ. I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to go travel Europe. I want to do this. I want to do that. And and it really struck me like, wow, these are, I thought, incredibly successful, happy attorneys. <laughs> There's not that many of them. They were all telling me, you know, do this now. And if you want to come back, the law will be back there. And, you know, I never came back. I've, I was fortunate that the University of Missouri Journalism School was just, just down the road from the University of Missouri Law School. Uh, got in and, and, um, and I remember telling myself, I'm going to give myself 10 years to get to ESPN. And if I can get there, then I'll consider it a success. If I don't get there, then I'll reconsider what I'm going to do with my life. And, and fortunately, I was there in five. What was it about ESPN that made it the, the goal for you? Because, I mean, you, you could have made great money being a local sports anchor or sports writer or doing a radio show. What was it about it that, that drew you like a fly? I think just because it was on everywhere – I think most people, when you start, right, your your goal is to play Major League Baseball if your dream is to play baseball. You, very few people say, hey, my goal is to play in double-A and stay there and be the career leader in hits for the whatever double-A <laughs> franchise, right? I mean, for, no offense to these franchises, sure. but nobody. It's like Barry Melrose once told me, he goes, nobody wants to be the all-time leading scorer in minor league hockey because that means something went wrong. Right. And and so while I'm not knocking anybody who's affiliated with those organizations, it obviously has uh, there's some importance leading your way to the major leagues. Everybody's dream is to play in the major leagues. Nobody dreams. Right. Of being uh, at the plate in the bottom of the ninth for Chattanooga. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. The Chicago Dogs, uh, the, the Springfield Cardinals. You want to be with the St. Louis Cardinals. Right. So uh, that I just set my goal there and. Who knew how I was going to get there? I had no idea how I was, how I was going to get there, but uh, I was very fortunate. I've been extremely fortunate that every step of the way, whenever I've wanted a job or needed a job, things have opened up. I can't explain it. Like when News Channel 8 started and how I got my start, my first real job coming out of the University of Missouri, they started a 24-hour news service in the Washington, D.C. area. They needed 82 people. They needed a guy who could shoot, edit, produce, report, anchor on any given day, do all those things. Somebody knew somebody back at Mizzou said, hey, do you have anybody who can come in for $20,000 and live in D.C. on that? And she said, yeah, I think I know somebody. She calls me in, says, hey, you need to send your resume and a tape out there. Back in the days when they actually sent tapes out. So I did it. A couple weeks later, I got the call. 
So I was lucky there. My goal of getting to ESPN happened because, oh, CNNSI decided to start a 24-hour news sports news service. ESPN said, no, 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 you're not going to take that from us. That's our domain. So we need to hire 10 new anchors on the spot to start ESPN News. So I was one of those 10 people. Mike Greenberg, who has Chicago ties, obviously, he was the first hire. I was the second hire. And we came uh, one week apart about, wow, now about 23 years ago this week. My start date uh, was September 1st, 1996 at ESPN. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, here in Chicago and specifically at, at the radio station I do a show at, The Score, Greenberg, I, I consider myself lucky because I'm in the line of Bears reporters with Greenberg. Right. So, you know, he, he was the Bears reporter, and and then, you know, it, it kind of goes down a line where Dan Bernstein was the Bears reporter. You know, I was the Bears reporter. So I, I love that little line of succession, and to see him go on and become, you know, one of the biggest sportscasters in the sure. world has been pretty crazy. When when you made it to ESPN, what was that feeling like? It was, you know, I was really fortunate because I came in with nine other guys. So many other people come in by themselves, and they get, I don't know, they're, they're kind of a little lost for a little while. A lot of guys are trying to maybe they overdo it because they're trying to impress so many people all at once. I didn't have to be that you way guys because were I was all already lost kind of, together. Right. And I was assigned more or less to this network. Even though I did a couple of sports centers before I actually ever did an ESPN news appearance. Um, I think that really helped my transition. And to this day, I'm extremely close with uh the guys like Greeny. He was in my wedding. Chuck Garfine. Uh had dinner with him and his wife Liz uh just last week. Uh, Ian Page, Jason Jackson, uh, th- th- we're all everywhere. You know, we're all spread out now. John Butchigross and Mike Greenberg are the only two originals who are still there. Dave Revson of the Big Ten Network, you know, he's back here in Chicago. He's an original ESPN News guy. So to this day, I can just pick up a phone, text somebody, email somebody, and, and say, hey, I need you to come on the show right now. Can you do it? And, you know, if they can, they will. So stuff like that. And, and, and uh, I, so that was such a great experience. And then we had guys like Stuart Scott who – he just kind of jumped into our group. It was it was weird. He like he saw how much fun we were having doing all these things together because we were going out to dinners, we were going out to ball games, uh, concerts, and and he's like, "What are you guys doing? You guys are having so much fun." Next thing you know, he's tagging along with us. That's crazy. So, yeah, yeah. So and this was before he blew up. So so I saw that up close and personal. And, you know, it was, it was funny too when you go and observe a show when when you first go there. They want you to observe a show and, and tag along with anchors, kind of just like see how they do their thing. My first show that I observed, and for a week I observed, was the big show, Dan and Keith. <laughs> so to watch Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann do their thing, I'm just sitting. I was like smiling. I'm sitting there watching. I'm in the studio, and and I would have been watching them on my couch, right? Instead, I'm like 15 feet away from them, watching them do their thing. And I'm like, this is amazing. What do you think made them great? Because that was a must-watch. Like, those two guys together, their banter, like, it was a must-watch if you love sports or if you even thought about being in sports. Yeah, it's hard to put into words because you always hear about having it, right? They had it times 50, 
50 million, both incredibly intelligent men, both knowledgeable about sports. And you'd be surprised at how many times at all different levels of sports, sports guys really don't know sports. You know, Dan and Keith know their sports, and they know how to play off each other. They know how to share the ball. That's the other thing. They don't have to be the shooter all the time. They're looking for the pass as much as they are the shot. And I think Dan is one of the best interviewers in our business. If you listen to Dan Patrick do an interview, especially when it's a newsmaker, listen to, and this is a really, uh, this is advice, not for just anybody uh, as a viewer or as a listener or as somebody who's been in the business like we have, but especially for the, for the students out there trying to get into the business, listen to how he listens. He will listen, then he asks a question, gets out of the way. He doesn't try to show off how much he knows. He knows what he's talking about. But the question that comes back puts that person right on the spot, and there's silence. And that's, on, that's intentional, too, because when a guy feels like, oh, wow, i got to speak, he's going to say more. And all of a sudden, he starts saying things that you didn't expect him to say. It's a hard place for people to live where you throw something out there, and then there's silence. There's this rush because we're, we're taught – to not have dead air. Correct. There's this rush to jump into the dead air. And with DP, it's like, I'm going to let everyone live in this discomfort for a second. Right. And then get a great answer. Right. And, and even commissioners, billionaire owners, you hear them. You can see the gears. I mean, you can just feel the gears in their brain grinding as they're trying to come up with some kind of answer. And, you know, they'll, they'll backpedal, <laughs> verbally backpedal. It's... It's impressive. It's uh, it's not an easy thing to do because sometimes we want to show off how much we know and, and want to hog the mic when really, wait, the reason why you brought this guest on was to hear him speak. It's true. How did you develop your style on air? Because the thing I've always noticed about do you. Do I have a style? I don't know. You're never flustered, Michael. Oh, man. Never. We And, you know, there were some moments at 120 <laughs> where things weren't some? working. <laughs> guests weren't there. And you uh, never, like, you never fluster. You never get after people, you know, as we're doing the show. Like, you're just calm. I want to know, how did you develop that? Y- you know what? I've been fortunate to have great partners. And whenever there was a really tense moment or a if I sounded like I didn't know what I, what I was doing or where I was going next, I probably did. But it was always nice to just say, so what do you think, Lawrence? <laughs> In the well, meantime, you know, while, you go, while you go off, I can gather my thoughts and, you know, check the rundown, talk to the producer. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. All right, now, now I'm back together. <laughs> I mean, no, but I've, I've been really fortunate to have a lot of great partners, and so it, it's – Sometimes you just toss it to the next guy and let them go, right? It's true. When you were anchoring, who did you pattern yourself after? I, I would probably say Dan Patrick and Bob Lee. Now, I am in not, not in no way am I saying I'm in their league. I'm just saying those are the guys who I watched how they went about their business, and I thought to myself, look, these are the two of the best. So why? And I'm right here. I have a chance to go into their offices and talk to them or – Go watch their shows or go into the rundown and read their lead-ins. And, and by the way, that would just blow me away. I'm like, how did they come up with this? I would never think like this. Uh, John Anderson is one of the best writers. 
he's a fantastic writer. Scott Van Pelt's an excellent talent, of course. Uh, there are just so many. That, that's the thing. When you work at a place like that, and one of the things uh, I used to always say is, look, I, wasn't, I played for the New York Yankees. Of of broadcasting or or whoever whatever Montreal Canadiens Notre Dame Fighting Irish the Lakers whatever, whatever the sport is whatever the team that is associated with greatness for that particular sport that's what ESPN was when I was there. I wasn't Derek Jeter or Magic Johnson, and I knew that I was the guy, the twenty fifth man on the roster. It's I all was right whatever. to be Scott Brocious. Hey hey, absolutely. <laughs> I got the rings. I was in the team picture. You know, no, I was happy to be there and feed off. Their greatness and just experience. I was I was a fan as much as I was somebody just trying to be a, be them. I, I was just thrilled to be there, and, and, and I don't want to sound make that sound trite. It really was a, a case in my situation where I just loved being around these guys who were brilliant, and if I could just get a little bit off of their brilliance, off their genius, that I was the better for it. What struggles did you encounter, if any? Being an Asian American sportscaster, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll tell you a perfect example. I when I was coming out of Mizzou, and I had classmates who were getting gigs, getting jobs. They were sending out their tapes and getting jobs at small markets. And I was prepared to go to Billings, Montana, Tupelo, Mississippi, Lynchburg, Virginia, Grand Junction, Colorado, all the places where. Guys typically go for their first jobs and then move up the ladder. I, to me, I thought of it like being a minor league baseball player. Move up the ranks, hope to move up uh, each class every couple years, and then, and then get a shot at the bigs. I was getting rejected left and right, and I didn't understand it first. And then one day I got a phone call from a former classmate who had gone and become a producer in Lynchburg, Virginia. Now she's a news director. And she told me at the time, she said, look, I put your resume and tape on his desk. I had him look at it. He said he liked your tape, but he said, we don't have anybody who looks like him in in our market. And that was crushing to me at first because I'm thinking, what? You know, you're telling me I'm good enough to play here, but you won't add me to the roster because somebody or not enough people in your market look like me. I already knew growing up, you know, I didn't see anybody like me on TV. Very few. You know, in your case, I'm guessing you grew up in, in Chicago on television. I had there Jim were, Rose. There were plenty of African-Americans, news, weather, sports, yeah. right, uh, and personalities on the air. I had Doug Banks on the radio. I had Jim Rose right. on television. So th- there was plenty for me to go, oh, I can be this. I right. can be this. I, I can't even imagine what it was like to be you back in the no. 80s, like thinking about being a sportscaster. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm – I – didn't know anybody who looked like me. And to this day, it's almost like a reflex, Lawrence, where when I'm flipping channels and I see an Asian face, it could be a commercial, it could be the local news, it could be national news, it could be a movie, television show, whatever. When I see an Asian face, I stop because I just want to see who this is. And then I honestly will sit there for at least seven minutes because that's, that's how long it takes to register a point in the ratings. I'm going to sit there for this person. And then I'll move on. So what's it like now for you to be that person? Because, and I know that I know what you're getting ready to, you're about to do the humble thing where you're Michael Kim and it's not a big deal. But I've talked with Michelle Steele. I've heard Mina Kimes talk about the importance of you being out there for people. So what's that now like to know that 
there's at least one, if not two, generation of sportscaster that saw Michael Kim on television and said, oh, we can play too if we, if we have to. Well, it's certainly it's very flattering to hear that and to be that person, I guess. I don't feel like I am because I don't feel like I'm at that place. I, like I feel like I'm still trying to accomplish goals, right, in my career. Um, at the same time, uh, anything I can do to help out, guys, and, and, and I say that and there's probably a kid saying, hey, you haven't returned my uh, uh, critique email, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, and I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll get there. You know, there's a lot of things going on right now, especially, uh, but, I'll, I'll, but I'll get there because I know what it was like to sit there waiting, checking uh, back then voicemails and, and uh, actual snail mail to see if there would be any kind of response. But, um, yeah, I, I shouldn't be the guy. The way I look at it, I shouldn't be that guy because I shouldn't be. I should be like you in that there should have been generations of guys ahead of me that I should have been able to look at and follow and watch and listen to. Why me? You know, so we're catching up. And I got to tell you, please go out there. Uh, you know, I, I have no financial stake in this, but Crazy Rich Asians, the movie, Searching, starring John Cho. These movies, they're doing so well in the box office, and I can't tell you the pride that I have watching these movies because it is finally portraying. It's, it's ridiculous that there hasn't been big Hollywood studio productions telling Asian stories or just stories that just happen to be Asian or have Asian actors in it, right? It's not like we don't have – we have love affairs and, and divorces and uh, great stories and romances and, and – And uh, tragedies. Right, right. Heroic efforts and, you know, the whole gamut that every other culture has, we have it too. So why isn't that being portrayed? Why do you think this was the time for Crazy Rich Asians to explode the way that it did? I don't know. And I've talked to Ken Jeong, one of the stars – he doesn't know. There, it's just, it was just supposed to happen. And again, if that doesn't, I know, satisfy people as far as uh, an explanation, I, I, it's it's above and beyond me. I don't know. I don't know why it took so long. I don't know why now. I'm just glad it is, and finally, it's happening. And hopefully, we're going to see more. So, when you and your family went to go see Crazy Rich Asians, what? What was that experience like? And especially because you know Ken. Ken knows you. You guys have become friends. Mm-hmm. But for for the culture, right. what did that mean to, to, oh, to watch that? All the things. Watching how uh, the food scenes, the mahjong scene in the movie. I don't, have you seen the movie? I have not yet. Okay. It's on the list. The, the mahjong scene, I don't want to you know spoil too much. That scene was so powerful, especially if you understood – the game itself and some of the meanings behind that game, but uh, just to see a whole cast where they're not playing stereotypical roles, they're not you know. And no offense to the guys, this is the other thing I want to say: all the guys down the line who had to play in the martial arts movies or the convenience store owner and things like that. Look, you had to put uh, food on your table for your family. I understand if that was the only role that was available for you from Hollywood, you had to take it. Good for you. I don't I don't knock you. I knock the establishment, the the powers that be that didn't give those actors, great actors, opportunities to show off their skills in other roles. But it, it was just nice to see, hey, this is just, you know, some of the things that were very relatable to me and to other Asians, just because it was not, you know, not everything in that movie was identical to my life. But there were definitely parts of it, 
And and so it was nice to see that this portrayed in a normal way on the big screen. I I think that's the appeal to so many Asians. And then there was such a campaign. Uh, it was had social media been around in 1993 when the Joy Luck Club came around, maybe we would have seen that then. But there are so many savvy social media uh, people associated with this movie. They got it going, and then people just jumped on. And then uh, the Asian community just came out in droves in that first weekend, went over, what, $35 million, I think, over the five days. And now over $100 million. It's It's incredible. And I think what happened then, the other... You know, the rest of the population started saying, what's going on here? Well, I got to see this. You know, what's what's this buzz about? I got to see it. So, it so makes they jumped me, on. It, it reminds me a lot of my big fat Greek wedding. Yes. Like the, the, the way that people reacted to it. Where it's like, oh, everyone can probably relate. Right. No matter who you are. But it's, it's a little extra special. Like, for example, I, I would say that um, Black Panther, mm-hmm. like everyone can relate. To the stories of Black Panther, but for Black people, it was a little bit more. Right? No, and I know? understand that. And 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 I I love that. I love that that people have something that that represents. Have you seen Incredibles two? I have not. I want to see it. You need to see it because the short that they play before is called Bow. Okay. Oh yes, I've heard about it. Oh my God, I've heard about it, Michael. I was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we took our we took our nieces and nephews out to go see Incredibles. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, Incredibles. So you have this short, and it is a – I'm tearing up thinking about it. Like, it's a beautiful, beautiful short. I don't want to give yeah. too much away. No, I've heard about it. I want to see it. By the it's way, can so I just say good. this about Black Panther? I had a connection to Black Panther, believe it or not, in the sense that this, the movie opens in Busan, South Korea. That's right. That's my parents' hometown. Wow. My dad used to go swimming on those beaches and in the in the waters there. And I was stunned. I was actually watching the movie in Seoul. I happened to be in Seoul. No and way. so I watched the movie and no one told me this. No one told me that the movie opens in Busan. You know, so I'm just sitting there, okay, all right, I'm I'm ready to watch this movie and I'm excited to see what the because by this time, you know, it had already run in the United States and now it's coming to Korea. And you I mean I like practically jumped out of my chair when I saw that the Busan South Korea you know, come across the screen. I wonder, like, what other, like, people in South Korea, like, what their reaction was to that. I mean, I know what yours was, but I wonder if, if there was, like, hey, how'd we end up in yeah, this movie? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I don't know. I was just so stunned at the moment that I didn't even look around. I was there. It was a, a matinee. I remember going by myself, uh, and and uh, uh, no one else in my family could go. I, I don't know why. I just So I, I went over there to the theater, and, and I was in there with about 20 people, and, and I just literally like stood up or sat sat up in my seat like what nobody told me so wakanda forever right on busan forever you you travel a ton you gave a couple ballpark ideas and hall of fame mm-hmm. ideas where's some place that someone should go that they haven't gone we went just last month knowing that i was going to be heading back here well there's two trips one is kind of an American history tour that we did. We went, and, and I'm taking all the politics out of this. Just understand this is about American history. So, uh, you know, that's where I'm coming from. We went to Fort McHenry. That's where Francis Scott Key wrote the Star Spangled, Star Spangled Banner. And, and so it's a really cool presentation and a museum there, National Park, 
Uh, I know, you know, I'm not going to get into the anthem and all that. This is just strictly about American history. So we wanted to take Matthew to some of these places so that he could see them before he actually studied them. Hmm. So that was that. We went to D.C. from there. I went to. Did you go to Gettysburg? Uh, we're gonna get there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. So so we went to we went to uh, Fort McNair. Then we went to an Orioles game. Actually, we we shot through there really quickly so we could get to Camden Yards, which is number three on my list of ballparks. Oh, by the way, there is an incredible podcast. I'll send you the text about the building of Camden Yards. I want to say it's called the the ninety nine percent podcast, and they spent you know thirty minutes talking about what went into building Camden Yards and how they wanted to have the factory in the background mm-hmm. and kind of work their way backwards around right. the factory to build. No like, one did that with ballparks, right? I was at that first game at Camden Yards. Were you really? Oh, yeah. I covered uh, Rick Sutcliffe through a shutout against the Indians. That was uh, game number one in Camden Yards history. I was there for that game, and then I was there for Cal Ripken's record breaker. For real? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... I was at both of those games covering when I was working in D.C. So uh, anyway, we took we you to, off. Yes, the, I know. We, so we went to Camden Yards, then we went down to D.C. and we went to Mount Vernon, and it's a really fascinating place there. And, and the museums there, uh, you know, you got a 14 year old boy who the last thing he wants to do is go through museums, but they do it so well that he was like, "Oh, this is kind of cool," and he learned a lot. And and uh, look, some of the history, obviously, we know of our country and even current history is uh, you know, with current times, you know, not pretty. But I think you have to learn that. You have to understand that. And hopefully by learning that history, then maybe, you know, his generation will be part of the answer and the solution moving forward. But we introduced him to that. We went down to Charlottesville. Uh, wow. We went to Charlottesville, and w- we actually went to Monticello's where we wanted to go. And while we were there, we went to Charlottesville, wanted to go see the campus of the University of Virginia, which is a beautiful campus. And then we were walking through the uh, pedestrian mall downtown, and it was eerie because we got to the street. I didn't know which street was the street where they had the protest. I didn't even realize it was right there. I thought it was in another part of downtown. And I knew the second that we were crossing the street, I just, like, stopped my wife and son said, this is the street. I recognized just from the camera angles. And we went back to the hotel later and confirmed on YouTube watching some of the videos. Yep, the store's there. That, that was the street. It was eerie. Um, but we went to Monticello to show Matthew some of the stuff with Thomas Jefferson. We've become uh, these fanatics regarding Hamilton. I'm the right there with you. Yeah, and so so – it was. It's really cool to see how Matthew has then learned American history, and a lot of his classmates and friends have learned American history through this musical. It's fascinating to me, and and so uh, we were taking him there and showing him that. And then we did go to Gettysburg on the way back to Connecticut. We go to Gettysburg, and that museum. I've always wanted to go there. Uh, I don't. I don't know why. It's a battlefield. Okay, and so so uh, I'm not sure what really drew me to that, other than I knew that that was Lincoln's greatest speech. So I wanted to just go there. And the museum they have there at Gettysburg is incredible. So I encourage, it's, it's tough to get there, but go there and, and uh, you'll learn a lot about American history. Can I add a fun little American history nugget that you might want to share with Matthew? Okay. So I learned this, and I, I think it's still accurate, but John Tyler... The 10th president of the United States, mm-hmm. 
the 10th. Yes. We're on 45. Oh, I think I know where you're going. Has living grandchildren. Yes. I saw that. That was that was a big thing on Twitter, like in in February it? and March. Yeah. Hopefully I, they're I, still I alive. I don't remember what triggered that, but I could not believe that. I was trying to like it, it, when I first saw. It, I was like, no, that's that's not possible. And right. then you hear the story right. of you, Tyler waited until he was in his late sixties to have children, and then. His child waited until he was in his 70s to have children. Then these two guys are in their 90s, and you're like, oh, the math actually adds up. Think of how many grandchildren of presidents after Tyler that have died. Correct. And these two are still alive. It's pretty amazing. So it's a fun little piece of United States American history. You know, it's it's pretty cool. I love that Matthew has like jumped into some of this stuff. Yes, yeah, it it really was triggered by Hamilton, Uh, and and uh, I don't know if he realizes that Hamilton and Burr are in the bullpen for the White Sox. (laughs) They had to choose between. There was one night where they were choosing between Hamilton and Burr, (laughs) and I couldn't stop laughing. And I was like the only person who was laughing at it, but it was hysterical to me. You gotta Uh, you gotta do the side by side picture. You almost have to do them back to back right you got to do like a duel right. like, uh, like picture. no pun intended no well <laughs> all, all the puns intended the other thing if i can jump in here too as far as a trip if you have the chance to get to i know it's no easy trip but go to the great wall you it, it is it is fascinating it is so unbelievable to see this structure and that has a little sordid history too in terms of how it was built but as far as the actual architecture and and the fact that it still stands and can can sustain the weight and traffic of millions of people, uh, it's it's incredible. Before I let you go, I do want to ask you what advice you have for broadcasters that are coming out. I mean, I teach some that are in college. I know you do speaking engagements occasionally. What do you tell them about a business that has become very volatile as far as where jobs are and where they might be? Right. Uh, It kind of goes back to what we've just been discussing the past few minutes. Learn history. Learn literature. Because all those lessons from those other classes apply to sports. And you can add math with the way everyone's going with sabermetrics and, and analytics. It helps to have some math in your background, but learn all of these other things, other uh, subjects in addition to, I, I would I would say, and and I'm a proud graduate of the University of Missouri Journalism Here School. Here we go. I, no, I would say I would not go undergrad as a journalism major. Go there as a graduate degree. Go for the graduate degree, a master's or a PhD if you want. I think you uh, are better suited getting another type of degree. I'm sure my teachers if they hear that they're going to be i'm right there with you my uh, degree my undergraduate degree is in history yeah i'm poli sci business poli sci and i was on my way to law school before sports called i I think you need to have that base because it helps protect you and then go the extra two years and really focus then on your journalism or as we all know you don't have to have a journalism degree to be in journalism and we know you know tons of people countless people who are successful who, who never had journalism, uh, had a journalism class. So I, I would say, you know, be as versatile as you can. Take advantage of all those things and learn a language. Learn Spanish, especially uh, if you're going to get into sports. If you're covering baseball on a daily basis, you, you almost owe it to yourself 
so that you can go there and, and there's there's so many great stories. We're talking about crazy rich Asians and the stories that are finally being told there. There's still so many great stories from the Latin players that never get told because of the language barrier. I agree with you 100%. This was as delightful as I thought it was going to be. I'm so, man, <laughs> Thank I'm, you so much, I'm, man. I'm truly like... I hope I didn't hog the... Hog the ball. I no, should have no. passed a little bit more. No, man. This is all about me passing and you shooting. This is this is good. I took enough shots when we were working together. <laughs> so so allow me to, to get the be stocked into your Malone now <laughs> instead of the other way around. I I knew that I was going to enjoy this. And I there are not a lot of people in this business that I, I genuinely call friend. And to have you back in Chicago is a big deal for me. It's a big deal oh. for Mel. She's very excited. I'm excited. And I learned so much working with you that I'm glad that I, you would honor my podcast oh, by coming on. on and hanging out. Come on. This, is a, this has been a thrill. I, I'm telling you, I have been fortunate to work with a lot of great people in this business and, and be, along, be alongside, be in the company of some true people like I mentioned, Bob Lee, Dan Patrick, guys like that, a lot of people at ESPN. You're right up there, man. Your intelligence, uh, the way that you are able to uh, phrase things and, and your sensitivities, it's its unlike few people in this business. And uh, no, uh, I'm the one who should be thanking you for being my friend and for having me here on your podcast. Well, that's enough of the Mutual Admiration Society. <laughs> I'm, uh, you can catch Michael on Stadium every morning. 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern, 9 o'clock Central here, of course, in Chicago. But, uh, yeah, it's TV. It's digital. Watchstadium.com. You can see it online, your app, uh, if you have it downloaded on your phone, on your tablet. Uh, but uh, I believe we are in now over 23 million homes Great. on television. And uh, that's growing here. In fact, I think it's going to be uh, double-digit numbers ahead by the end of the year, as a matter of fact. So we're, we're growing there on that, on that end, too. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Lawrence. Appreciate it. Michael Kim is so fun to talk to. Just one of the really smart guys. And I'm glad that he made time. He is now back in Chicago, which is great, which means there'll definitely be a part two (laughs) of this, as there seems to be with everyone that we have on the podcast. There's just almost like not enough time to to do all the things that we want to do. So I, I salute and thank him very much for being on the podcast and sharing his story. And I think his story is valuable in, in a lot of different respects, so I hope you got something out of it. He will receive a gift card from Melly Cafe, a $50 gift card from Michael Kim. Go check out their three locations. You can go to Jackson and Halstead in Greektown, or you can go check them out at Dearborn and Congress or Grand and Wells. It's a really cool place to go get a meal it's a, a it's like a beautiful restaurant too. Like they're just the interior of it. They take a lot of great care with the design, and you're gonna love that place. Trust me. So Michael's gonna get a gift card there. You should go there and tell them that we sent you. Tell them that you heard about them on the House of L podcast, and, and maybe at some point we'll do like a taping or something over there. That would be kind of cool. Let me get to your emails, and if you would like to. Email the podcast, houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. And if your email's good, it might make it on to the podcast. Like this one from Terry, who says, love the podcast. This is Terry from Evanston. I call you occasionally. Listen, 
ever since Terry left, Dan got switched, Jason's off, Speed's gone. I just feel a little lost. I miss Terry the most, and I love it if you could get him on. Adam Hogue did a piece with him that was great. I love Terry, not just because he's always made me laugh, but I love him because he's a throwback and genuine like Bill Gleason. And he says he loves the old sports writer. Yeah, I mean, Terry and I did, what, three sit-down interviews for like an hour when he was promoting his book, which, by the way, you should go get. It's really good. Score of Lifetime. Like, it's so good. You'll enjoy it. But, yeah, at some point, Terry is on the list. It's funny. One of the other names you mentioned is on the list, too, Adam Hogue. I'm going to try to get Adam, and I feel like football season is a great time to get him. And... I'm really proud of what he has become. And I'm looking forward to getting him on the podcast soon. So before football season, Adam Hogue is going to be on here. But thanks, Terry. I appreciate the support, you listening, all that good stuff. This is from Timothy, who says, I'm a huge fan of the podcast and of your show on 670. My recommendation for a guest would be Pat Hughes. Still the only person who makes trousers sound cool. Yes, Pat was supposed to be an early guest on the podcast. I felt like if I was going to talk with Jason Benetti, I should talk with, with Pat Hughes. We, we, the rain, the weather this year messed us up. I was supposed to have Pat on. I was going to go to Wrigley Field after a game and record it. And then there was that crazy rain delay where the game was supposed to start at 10 o'clock. And then the lights went out. So we haven't been able to figure out a schedule yet. But hopefully I'll get Pat Hughes on because he's got a lot of stories to tell. And I'd like, I, I would very much like to talk with him. I tell you the other guy I'd like to talk with, I'd like to talk with John Weideman, the Blackhawks play-by-play guy. I think that would be a lot of fun. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see if we can get any of those guys on. And hopefully it'll be fun and entertaining. What else we got here? So we got Timothy. We got Terry. How about this one from Josh? Okay. I'm curious how you and your guests feel about the changing landscape of sports writing and sports broadcasting, particularly radio, as more and more papers go to AP reports with less on the payroll employees being sent to cover games and more individual radio stations losing locality flavor or locally local flavor being clustered into one of the three or four national broadcast networks. I have to think the students have to rethink getting into the business right now because jobs are evaporating almost on a daily basis. What would you tell journalism broadcasting students? Well, I talk to them every two days, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. I talk to them at DePaul about this stuff. And I feel like everyone has to be everything. There was a time where you could say, well, I'm a print guy, or I do radio, or I do television. Well, now you have to do all of that stuff. Because if you write and you write well, you you need to promote what you're writing. So you're going to have to go on radio, or you're going to have to go on television to do all of those things. Same thing with the other mediums. I don't discourage anyone from getting into the business because the business keeps changing so much that there are other avenues. You don't have to do radio. You could do your own podcast. And I think that honestly, that there's an opportunity here. If people are, if you're brave enough to 
instead of having like a demo tape, you can actually start building a resume by doing a podcast. I met a young lady today, one of the the, the people that works in promotions. Her name is Lizzie Baumgartner here at, at the, the intercom station. She handed me her card, and it was an old, it, on the front of it, it looks like an old cassette tape. And I was like, that's dope. And she took the initiative to introduce herself to me, and she was talking about her college radio show at North Central, and I was interested in it. There are more avenues, I think, to be an independent broadcaster that gets found or discovered by a local or national network. So I tell students to pursue it. Like Mike Hall said on a couple of episodes back, if you want to go back and check, he had no idea the Big Ten Network was going to exist. Five years ago, I had no idea that there would be over-the-top streaming networks. I worked for 120 for two years. I even know that was a possibility. And now you're seeing, you know, Hulu and Amazon and, and all these other places, like, get into sports. There's going to be opportunities. It's just going to look a little bit different than what it's looked like in the past. But I do appreciate the emails. If you want to email the podcast with a question or with a, a guest idea, houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. All right. That wraps things up. You start heading out. Thanks to you for listening. I do appreciate it. I got some big name guests coming up in the next couple of weeks. And a couple of projects that I'm working on for the podcast, too, which I think that you'll be interested in. But people ask for Charles Tillman, and you're going to get about an hour of him. We recorded something this week, and a portion of it is going to be played on the score, but the majority of it is going to be on the podcast. So be looking for that. We've got a couple other big names that we're going to roll out as well. Thanks for your support of the podcast. Bears coverage immediately after games or the day after I'll have stuff up. So make sure you click on that. Subscribe. Tell a friend. Retweets are better than likes. So if you see me tweeting it out, retweet it. Get it to people who might dig it. See you next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.